Welcome to the Wildlife Experience. This is your host, Andrew Austin. In this episode, I interview Britt Perry. Uh, Britt is a uh, biologist uh, that is currently working for the National Wild Turkey Federation. Um, She has uh, been doing that for a little bit. Uh, She is, uh, as you will find out, um, she is not a turkey expert. She is a habitat expert. but uh, yeah, really cool job she has. Um, we discuss um, different aspects of her career. Um, she's worked in consulting and done a lot of bird research uh, throughout her career. Um, we talk about, uh, yeah, all different stuff with her career as a biologist, um, a little bit of field herping, turkey hunting. Um, we, we got stuck on longleaf pine ecosystems for a little bit, just because uh, I'm particularly interested in them. And also she is as well, and is currently working in them. Um, so we talk about longleaf, uh, and most important for her, we talk about, uh, falconry, although, uh, we might have to do a whole another episode on falconry because, um, she has a whole lot to say about it. It is something that she is very passionate about and, um, you know, spends a lot of time doing. So yeah, all around, uh, really a good time talking to Brit. Um, she was, uh, my first guest at the 2022 hunt fish podcast summit. And, uh, so it was a great, great start to the, to the event. Um, I will have uh, talked about that and the previous, um, update episode that I posted. Um, the hunt fish podcast summit was just a really cool event to get podcasters and and uh, wildlife people, outdoors people together. Um, uh, so yeah, it was a really good time. Uh, and also Britt was my first in-person interview, which, you know, that's not really a big deal, but uh, it taught me that I really prefer to talk to people in person. It was a lot more fun for me. And uh, so yeah, I'll be, I'll be getting uh, set up to do more of that stuff, hopefully pretty soon. Um, yeah. So with that, I bring you Britt Perry. All right. I am here with Britt Perry. Britt, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks. We're here at the uh, Hunt Fish Podcast Summit. It's a really cool event. And uh, yeah, it's great to be here talking to you. Awesome. Yeah. So um, usually how they start out is kind of just uh, get to know you. So um, you can tell us uh, where you're from in the world uh, to start off. So I was born in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I grew up there up until about college. I went to LSU in Baton Rouge. Okay. You studied wildlife? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you studied wildlife in college. Did you uh, already always know you were going to pursue a career in wildlife or is this a long, <laughs> long, lifelong interest? Or Yeah, I uh, actually did. You know, I was just one of those kids who loved dinosaurs and then – you saw the movie like Free Willy or whatever, and you're like, you know what, marine biologists, just like every like kids from the 80s or 90s. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, uh, they they think they want to do marine biology, but then they end up doing like wildlife ecology, or yeah, th- they don't realize there's like all these different options in natural resources. Um, and marine biology is just so difficult to get into (laughs) oh yeah I uh I kind of switched that up whenever I was in high school or you know college you start learning about the field more and I remember I took ornithology in college and a professor said you know what in the wildlife field if you know birds in general 
you'll always have a job. So I kind of went with that route. I believe it. Oh, yeah, yeah for a sure. Of, a lot of bird work. Even, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I took ornithology in college and, and uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, I haven't really done a lot of ornithology work, but even, you know, you've been in the consulting world, you get, you know, bird jobs every now and then. And if you know bird calls, you know the common species. Yep. It's a really valuable. Um, so did you did you really enjoy your, your experience in college studying you studying wildlife ecology at LSU? I did. I did. Um, they were really thorough. Uh, you know, dendrology to this day, I still know like 50 scientific names of trees. It just like doesn't leave you. Um, we learned all the birds and all the trapping and wildlife uh, techniques. I don't know. It was a really good college experience. Yeah, it seems like LSU is a is a really good school for for wildlife students. Um, just from what I can tell, I've met I've met some students from there, and um, it seems like you get a lot of time out in the field and stuff, like good labs and. Oh yeah, it was uh, it's you know I had like a bunch of friends and they all weren't in wildlife ecology, but I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're going to shoot guns and, uh, you know, do our wildlife course or like during the sun, uh, summer, we would go out for like three weeks and stay in the cabins and stay in the woods, uh, doing little projects and stuff. And that was like very unique to where like my other friends who were like, oh, communication studies, they're like, you do what? <laughs> it's super fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really fun, deg- it's a really fun degree and it's a fun career, you know, uh, working in wildlife. So you graduated and did you get straight into it? Did you do some tech jobs and stuff like that? Yeah, I did. I did. So while I was in college, I uh, guess I worked for NERDA and uh, I guess Louisiana State Wildlife and Fisheries side of things doing the BP oil spill okay. with ducks yep. So I worked kind of that side of things. So that gave me an in. And I was like, you know what? I really like this type of stuff. Then I started doing bird banding in college for Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries. And then took a job after college doing, a, I guess, like a lot of their bird tech work. Yeah. Which, you know, banding, netting. Oh, that's so fun. Maybe, <laughs> you know, call surveys. Yeah. It's uh you know, birds, you know, we appreciate them mainly just by seeing them, but like getting them in hand is so so amazing, right? Oh, yeah. I didn't really care about birds until college. Um, and I mean, I'm just, I'm talking about more like the smaller, like smaller warblers birds. and things you just don't quite notice um, until it was one class. We netted some birds to, uh, to ban. One of like a, a grad student like came out and showed us during the class and I remember it was a common like yellow-throated warbler I saw it I was like oh wow this is beautiful and it was not an obsession but I just kind of knew it from right then I'm like this is awesome that's good stuff how's the uh, BP oil spill work it must have been kind of depressing uh, yeah. Just imagining birds covered in oil. <laughs> I don't know if it was the case, but. So it was assessments kind of like a month, like two or so months after the spill. Kind of our, uh, our data was going toward the case yep. of it. Um, 
we didn't find many oiled uh, birds. Okay. But, you know, this is, again, kind of the aftermath of that. Um, but it was fun. We went out uh, on a boat kind of from day okay. sunrise to sunset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just doing line transects in the bay. Yeah. Looking for, I guess, mainly uh, like aquatic birds, cormorants and such. Yeah, we would definitely take note of those, but we were mainly there for the ducks. Oh, it was, it was ducks. Okay, I got you. Well, ducks are very important. We don't want them uh, getting taken out by an oil spill. You know, it was interesting, that, that BP oil spill, um, I guess uh, the case ended up going through, and there's a huge lawsuit, and a lot of that money was used to buy a refuge recently in Texas. Was it? Pow- or Powderhorn Ranch was bought with uh, mainly BP oil spill lawsuit dollars, which is... You know, it's the largest coastal prairie, like, intact coastal prairie in Texas. So it's like, well, at least this devastating uh, disaster resulted in, you know, a really good conservation, uh, you know, project. I thought that was interesting, <laughs> you know. but No, for uh, sure. It's it's good that, you know, they were able to turn it into something good. I, I guess all those marshes and all the wildlife has recovered since, uh, since the spill. Uh... I think they have a lot more problems going on with the, uh, I guess, uh, the marsh kind of washing away oh, and erosion, things yeah. like that. Yeah, so I, I don't know. That's not my area of, spe- uh, like, expertise. expertise. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a whole other realm. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. know it's not good. It's not good. Yeah. <laughs> Another, uh, I followed somebody on Instagram. I forget her name, but uh, her name is Jolie something. But uh, she's working on that on that side of things and um she's always posting pictures of the like looking at aerial historical aerials uh-huh. of the marsh around the, the mississippi delta i guess and it's amazing how much land is being lost oh yeah it's for sure really alarming <laughs> like there's little communities out there on these little uplands and they're just the uplands are just disappearing disappearing and it's just really sad but they're doing work to restore it so that's good um so you uh you did some bird work um, did a lot of fun nest netting. You ended up in consulting at some point. I did. Yeah. So, uh, I, I guess I worked for Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries doing the bird stuff for about two years. And then, um, so I was about a year out of college and I'd only, I, I don't know. I'd lived in Louisiana for my entire life, and I was just like, you know what? I need to go somewhere else just for a little bit, see what it's like, you know. Got to get out. Can't be that person. So I moved to Los Angeles for a couple (laughs) years. I did some consulting work there, um, mostly environmental, uh, like, compliance. Right. I, I mean, more or less, I did nesting surveys, um, and babysit construction workers. <laughs> yep. It's not the it's not the most glamorous work, but no, it's no, important. it's not it's important work. <laughs> uh, what uh, what species were you working with out there mainly? Anything that would nest near the construction okay. site. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it wasn't any intensive studies. Like I said, it's just like environmental compliance, yep. making sure they have like oh. You have to be away from a nesting bird, you know, X amount of yards. Or, oh, let's put this oil plant pan under the, uh, you know, large equipment yep. because we don't want to get, uh, you know, marked. Right. So, 
a lot of work like that. Yeah, that's uh, that that work is it's so boring, but it it is important. Um, I've gotten a little taste of it uh, on the beach doing like plover survey or plover monitoring and stuff, and it's really boring. You're just sitting there, but like if we t- I think we take that sort of work for granted because what if there was something there, you know, that yeah, yeah, was injured because nobody was there to keep an eye on things. Um, how was it uh, living out there in Los Angeles? Uh, well, brutal. you know, you either love it or you hate it. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I thought Los Angeles was pretty cool. Yeah. I had a good group of friends, which, you know, made the whole thing uh, not tolerable, but, you know, the experience great. It's like yeah. who you're with. Um, yeah, and then I think the city itself, while it is big yeah. and, you know, there's a lot of people, I didn't ever find it overwhelming because it's kind of cool you can go like 40 minutes in any direction and you're just in an amazing like scenery and habitat like you got the beach you got the mountains you go out and you have these like awesome hiking trails that are like semi you know mediterranean deserty it's it's just a cool place i don't care how many people say they hate it (laughs) it's it's a cool area some people hate places for the cultural aspect or the societal aspect, but like some of those same areas have amazing wildlife and stuff. Oh yeah. That's, that's the lens I look through mainly when I think of the world. I'm just like, is there cool wildlife there? Is there cool <laughs> ecosystems there? Did you do a lot of, uh, I know you're a herper. Yes. Right? Did you do a, lot of, do a lot of herping there? Not as much as I should have. Cause there's yeah. some cool stuff around there. No, there is some cool stuff. I mean, you got like, rubber boas kind of like more up in the mountains you have a bunch of cool rattlesnakes uh yeah it's an awesome place to herp did, did your uh we can take a break from your career for a second did, <laughs> did you find herps before was that before college is that or is that something you hit you discovered in college as well um later later hobby no i've also like i've always been like a reptile nerd okay i got you is that like your core identity in wildlife is reptiles Basically. Uh, I would say birds is, oh, but bird, like birds. definitely reptiles is a part of it. I used to wait, that used to be the thing that kind of drove me, but you know, it turns out there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, it's hard to get jobs in herpetology yeah, and sure. unless you're going like the academic route. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of something I do on the side and. Something I wish I did more of, like doing herping trips with friends. I guess the last one I did was two-ish years ago or, you know, the height of the pandemic. I went down to Brownsville. Yeah. It's a good time down there. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had too much of a good time. Yeah. There's some amazing <laughs> – well, the first few trips I went down, um, they were herp-specific trips. You know, you got to go down and get an indigo snake and a speckled racer and a northern cat-eyed snake and – like I wasn't looking in the trees at the green jays and the Altamira Orioles and, and the <laughs> Kiskadees and the just all the amazing birds down there. And so now like I go down there mainly to look at the birds. Yeah, the green the, jays are yeah, just the awesome. Green, yeah. The green jay and they're all over the place, you know. You don't have to like work super hard to find them or anything. They're if you're anywhere in that Rio Grande Valley there, you're gonna see green jays. And like they're they're always calling and that's just that's like uh, a very overlooked part of Texas. Uh, but most people, um, if you're not interested in wildlife, I guess it's not that that cool. You know, it's just like, I don't know, it's kind of flat land. It's not very pretty. It's kind of dry. 
but it is a naturalist wonderland. Oh it yeah. Is. Um, what uh, did you see some cool stuff while you were down there? I did. Yeah, it can rely heavily on on rain. If it hasn't rained, it can really suck. You know. But I didn't get uh the main thing that I went uh look for, which of course was the indigo snake. Okay, yeah. Everyone wants to see an indigo snake. Yep. But like, I have a real soft spot for them okay. they have just like always fascinated me in fact i have two like pet okay. uh eastern indigos okay. one of them's name is pizza the other one's <laughs> name is beyonce pizza and beyonce oh yeah That's they awesome. uh <laughs> they're pretty cool and you know like they they're smart snakes oh, yeah. as smart as like a snake can be yeah, i suppose but smart, huh? they're just really cool species something um very north american yeah yeah, they're um, they're amazing snakes. I think the uh, I think the easterns. It's hard to say, but I think they're cooler looking. I like the that red on their labials or chin. Uh huh. It's so pretty. Um, and they're not as patterned up as a uh, Texas indigo, but I just like that that black bluish sheen they have on them. Oh yeah, I it's would love to see gorgeous. And they they live in those cool sandy uplands. I'd like to see those in the wild someday. Um, I've seen a few Texas indigos. I mean, they're on the they're on the rise Are in they? their natural habitat, aren't they? Like they're doing pretty really well sure. in Georgia. I know Texas indigos. <laughs> and by well, I mean not amazing. They're still they're not on the brink of extinction. <laughs> yeah, maybe. the Texas indigos were delisted on on a state level. I heard that. Yeah. yeah. Which is, uh, and timber rattlesnakes and and both. Both of those species are species I really love, and when they were delisted, I was like, "What the heck?" But you know, when you actually talk to people that were involved in those decisions, it it was based off of good data. You know, there there's so much brush country down in South Texas that uh, is safeguarding those indigo snakes. All these huge ranches. Um, indigo snakes are good; they're super abundant. And then the timber rattlesnakes I thought was kind of weird because, like, I just see hundreds of them get slaughtered every year, it seems like, on roadways. Yeah. And they become harder and harder to find, especially near urban areas. But it's just uh, the way it goes, I guess. Um, but, yeah. Um, so you, you've done some herping down in South Texas. Any other any other cool spots? Uh, I guess, like everyone else, go to the Everglades, Everglades you know. Yeah, Everglades. <laughs> go down to the Keys. Yep. But – it's such a good time. I mean, how can you not say that's, <laughs> like, not a good place? It's They're everywhere. Everywhere. And right. just, like, fascinating, you know, for better or for worse, you have all the exotics. Yeah. <laughs> good way of putting it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you get uh, did you get the pythons when you were down? or? Uh, we did see one, um, but nothing like, oh, yeah, I found a 12-footer. Or <laughs> but... Uh, did see them. Yeah. Did you go for, uh, so there's pythons, tegus, there's a bunch of stuff, but the stuff you really want to see are like the pythons, tegus, then the chameleons. That's really cool. Yes, yes. Did you see the chameleons? I did, I did. And then, you know, finding them is pretty fun. You go out at night and you use your, you know, your flashlight and they just have this, this certain green that you can see them in the foliage. And you're like, is that, and then it kind of comes into view and you're like, yep. There, there it is. It. They got that unmistakable shape. You know, it's not a an anole or something. Which you, you'll see like 
iguanas and big nightingales up there too. So I wanted to find a nightingale. That is something that I didn't find. You didn't find nightingales. No, I didn't. And you're probably like they're everywhere. They're every- but yeah, you know what? I didn't. <laughs> I was. I can admit digging that. through them trying to get a chameleon <laughs> when I went. There's so many. Uh, they're they're amazing too. They're just like this mega. Like we have our little green anoles locally. Like mm-hmm. just like a mega version of it. You know, they're just they're really impressive beasts. Um, yeah, her- herping is so much fun. It's uh, I, I tell my hunting and fishing friends, you know, if you like the outdoors and you like looking for stuff, go look for reptiles because mm-hmm. you can like you learn about their habitats and like certain species live in certain areas and you're flipping rocks and tin and boards and all this and it can be very addicting. <laughs> it's a oh lot yeah. of fun. Um, and and you know, birding's great, but birding like unless you're a biologist mist netting. Like you're just seeing the birds off at a distance. You know, no, if you have a good let's camera, be real. You can zoom birding in, sucks. I enjoy birding <laughs> when I have my camera, and I've I've said this before on the podcast. Birding for me is very much a f- photography pursuit. Like I yes, that yes, ap- I can agree with that. Aspect helps me appreciate the natural history of the birds more because like I can bring my picture home, I can study it. It's like if I have just binoculars, it's just like fleeting glimpses all the time. You know, they're just flying about. Yes, and it's just it's really hard to like. You can't. The difference between them and herps is like you can't pick them up. That's the cool thing about herps; you can literally grab them and look at them. You know? Yeah, you have like a up close kind of personal yeah. experience. Um, I mean, even as like a wildlife professional that does work with birds, I don't enjoy birding. I just i I enjoy birds, yeah. but I don't enjoy birding. Yeah, unless you're paying me. <laughs> yeah, that's very much. <laughs> You've never gone on any, like, rare bird chase? No, I have not. (laughs) (laughs) I've done it one time with some buddies from college, and let me tell you, that's some serious stuff. Those those bird chase, those uh, lifeless people. Uh Uh-huh. You know, going to Arizona for a weekend from College Station, Texas, just to get, like, one bird off their list. It's a hardcore naturalist right there. (laughs) It is. Uh, Like, when I went... uh, when I did that, we were looking for this ruddy ground dove that popped up in South Texas. And like this one ruddy ground dove was down at the state park. And like all these birders were there from all around the country looking for this thing. And like we're all sitting in this one spot. And then like three hours later, it pops up, which is kind of phenomenal that it's like a needle in a haystack, one bird. And like it actually popped up. But like sitting there for hours waiting for it, I was like, God, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> But there's, you know, it's like a rose-throated Bacard along the way and, like, other cool birds. Um, I, don't, I don't see myself doing that again, though. It's uh, birding's cool, but, yeah, chasing chasing rare birds, I don't know if that's for me. <laughs> no, me either. And it's kind of like those things, like, for example, I like being outdoors. Yeah. But I don't like hiking. Like, and how does that make sense? Well, you know what? I feel like people that hike or, you know, like anyone's like, oh, Britt, let's go hiking. You're just kind of like walking and walking, Endlessly. walking, you know, trying to get to like a dex- like a destination. I don't like, I don't enjoy that. Yeah, like yeah. I prefer to be in like one spot and yeah. kind of like look at my surroundings right. and like be more embrace, a part of that <laughs> embrace the ecosystem that you're in yeah so it's just a different way to be outdoors yeah. I'm, I'm the same way I've, i don't know if i've ever gone like just for a hike just to hike <laughs> you know except when i was like a kid but yeah now like i'll hike but i'm like looking for things plants or 
you know, cr critters to photograph. Um, did, you ever, did you ever get into, I know you like back to consulting, you know, you did some wetland delineation and you said you took dendrology. Did you uh, become very interested in native plants at any point or just, just you know, your plant knowledge is for your job? Mainly. I mean, the plant knowledge is definitely for the job. Um, but, you know, whenever you do learn about the plants, you do get tied up in, like, you know, caring and enjoying them. Right. And, you know, it it kind of just goes hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, that's – I like – I started learning about plants uh, more and more after college. Because, um, like, it – helps you understand like the ecosystem or like driving out here to this this beautiful ranch there's a there's a, a warbler of some sort over there a couple of birds fly, flying around um out here on this beautiful ranch um i'm like looking around i'm like you know there's there's live oaks and there's mesquites and it's like getting a feel for everything and that like the native grasses and it uh it's it's cool to like analyze the landscape when you know plants because it helps uh -huh. you like know what's going on um but it's also the main thing with plants is, um, and, and I have people on here that are, you know, aspiring wildlife professionals. Knowing plants is so important for a wildlife professional, right? Yes, you definitely yeah. need to know your plants. Yeah. Especially, like, even if you're going to do bird work or a really any taxa, like to pick any animal. If you're doing uh, research or doing surveys for them, some component of the research is probably going to include like habitat analysis of some sort. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, Hopefully this wind isn't affecting the audio too bad. It should be, <laughs> but yeah, we can cover it up a little bit. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's probably fine. Uh, and that's what, you know, it's, that part of the work is not uh, fun for some people, but, you know, I think you just got to find an appreciation, you know. The more you know about uh, a species' habitat, uh, the easier you can find it and understand, you know, what it's doing in certain areas. And it's just, you know, it's, it's really important <laughs> to know more about oh, habitat. Yeah. Without a habitat, you have no animals. Right. Um, so where did you go after Los Angeles? Um, went back to Louisiana for a little while. I worked a like master bander job with Woodlands Conservancy down in New Orleans area, oh, wow. banding birds. Um, then I was like, you know what? This is just not working. So I went back to the private industry and I moved to Houston, Texas. Okay. And there, so you, you worked at a firm there for a couple of years? Uh, I did, yes. Yep. Doing mostly wetland delineations yep. and uh, I guess NEPA documents. Right. How did you enjoy all that? It's, it's a different part of uh, conservation. I would still, we would still consider it in the conservation realm, but it's just, you feel like it's not though because it's like uh you're doing like you're out there with like an oil and oil and gas industry or like department of transportation and yes. what they're doing is like they're actually destroying the have the ecosystem but yes they're destroying it legally legally but the, <laughs> but it you know it the way i look at it now is like without nepa without like the clean water act and the whole all the environmental regulations like it would be a lot worse so it's it's cool to to see it in practice you know our cuz we do have great environmental laws here in this country not perfect, but um, like the Clean Water Act, like the way that works is so cool. Like you damage 10 acres of wetlands, you impact 10 acres of wetlands, you've got to create 10 acres of wetlands, basically. Like that's 
that's good. I think that's fair for outdoorsmen, people that work in you know various industries. Like, you need to pay for your damages to the ecosystem. Yeah. Right? So this is how I look at it. Um, you know, I have to be good at my job. Right. Because I want to recognize every wetland that I come across. I want to count it into the acreage total so that, you know, the industry like oil and gas or whoever is going to build upon that area is accountable. Right. Right. Where, you know, if I was kind of like lackadaisical and didn't really care and was like, oh, you know, like, (laughs) let's just not count that or, you know, whatever. Well, that's kind of a disservice right. to the inner uh, environment. So I'd rather be there, be good at my job, and accountable. Exactly. That, yeah, that's a good and way of looking at part. it. do my part. You, you want, we want people like you doing that that sort Correct. of work. And it can get boring, but I'm sure you enjoyed traveling around, right? That's one cool part of it, seeing cool sights. Yeah, I, I went to a bunch of different projects all over the U.S. and yeah. worked on them. Um, I've worked for a bunch of different, like, oil and gas companies, right. even, like, a lot of controversial uh, okay. <laughs> pipelines. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to name any right. names, but I've done almost I a lot of them. <laughs> right. It's part, of, it's part of the job. As we were just saying, we want people like you doing that work. Well, exactly. Like, I'm trying to make them accountable. Right. You said you didn't want to name names. I don't know <laughs> which one you're talking about. I, but uh, I have a biologist friend that works in Canada, and they were doing uh, rattlesnake research for the Keystone Pipeline for TC Energy up there, which I thought that was pretty cool that that, that company, uh, that's, su- that's such a controversial you know, company, I guess, uh, because of their, their pipeline they want to build. But, like, they're doing rattlesnake conservation in Canada. Mm-hmm. Who knew? <laughs> uh, it's kind of interesting to see that sort of stuff. Um I won't, ha- I won't make any further comments, but that's just an interesting note. Um, and it was a small world because I had made this friend um, in Belize, and I have friends that work for TC Energy and the oil and gas side of things, and they were telling me about this rattlesnake stuff that their company does, and turns out my friend was the one doing it. <laughs> you know, it's just a small world. The biology world is yeah. so small, right? It's, <laughs> always, uh, it's always shocking how small it is. They're, yeah, there's so few of us, it seems like. Um, doing this sort of work takes passionate individuals for sure it really yeah. does um now you're so you're done with consulting for now yes and you're with the national wild turkey federation yes and i do habitat restoration that's good stuff and yeah so the longleaf pine uh savannas in like western louisiana that's kind of my focus okay I am doing a incentive program where I will cost share work for landowners, you know, public or private, yeah. to either plant forest or for them to, I guess, like maintain their longleaf pine habitat through okay. uh, prescribed burning. Okay. You yep. know, getting yep. kind of the scrub off of the floor, yep. um, letting the native grasses grow back. You know, it's really good foraging habitat for like turkeys and guess what a lot of other animals so it's really good like feel good work (laughs) it must yeah after doing consulting going back to (laughs) yeah like that sort of conservation work must feel really good certainly um have you come to enjoy the that longleaf pine ecosystem oh it's amazing yeah, yeah i learned about it in college you know uh you know i'm 
grew up more southern Louisiana. Okay, yeah. But our northerns, we have pines yep. and learning about that and going out to like Kisatchee National oh, Forest and that place is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. And you know, like we have we have like cool snakes, the pine, uh, right. the Louisiana pine snake, right. uh, which they are out there. They are there. I have not seen one in the wild, but I've seen some that have been caught. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, it goes to really helping those creatures and things like the red cockaded woodpecker. That's the one that you probably learned about in college, right, when you were learning about longleaf pine? Yes. It's always about RCWs. (laughs) That's a big deal. Yeah. And in fact, that will take you a lot of places, whether you're conserving habitat or you're consulting. (laughs) Right. RCWs? Yes. Doing the environment, or I mean, the, uh, what, the uh, endangered uh, species surveys and writing them off or declaring. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's so many, uh, so many unique species in the Longleaf Pine ecosystem. No, it's very cool habitat. And it's, like dwindled down to like one percent of its original historic range i think or something like that it's i don't have the percentage but a big problem is they have longleaf pine habitat okay now they have a lot of forest like uh industry that will grow pines which are typically like loblolly uh they're not very fire tolerant They're just growing it for, uh, I guess, like timber sales. It doesn't have the same quality of habitat and, you know, for the... uh, RCWs. Yeah, the animals in that area. So you might look around and be like, well, this is a pine forest. Well, guess what? It's just an ecological desert. (laughs) Like, nothing's living in there. (laughs) That's East Texas and and West Louisiana, I guess. You drive through the the piney woods... And you look around, it's like, there's trees everywhere. It's This is beautiful. Yeah. Life. But then you look at the understory, and it has, like, privet, and it's oh, just, like, choked terrible. up. Like, you couldn't go through there. There's no food yeah. for any animal in there because yeah. they've uh, kind of, like, they have the understory. No light can get down for even, like, the native grasses right. for foraging. It's, it's – it might look like that, but you – you actually look at it and you're like, yeah, that's not healthy habitat. No. And that's, you know, it's like, uh, I think it was Aldo Leopold, that quote. He's like, you know, it's when you f- seeing life through the lens of an ecologist is very depressing, basically. And that's <laughs> what we <laughs> see. Oh, when I know, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, you see those pine forests that are just choked up with yopon and privet, and there's no, there's really no dynamic understory habitat. And, you know, all these species, red-cockaded woodpeckers, Louisiana pine snakes, turkeys, quail, they just can't live in that shit. No, you they know, can't. It's, uh, it's no good. They need open open habitat, spit widely spaced along leaves, right? With yes. A diverse, herbaceous understory with tons of grasses and forbs. Um, do you want my job? I do. I, do. <laughs> I love longleaf. I, I spend as much time as I can in longleaf. It's... Uh, it's really cool, but there's so little of it. But the Kisatchee is pretty extensive compared to anything we have in Texas. Like, we have the Sabine National Forest, Angelina, and they, they got some nice tracks, um, but they're small. Yeah, Kisatchee the, is huge. When I went to the Longleaf Vista 
that part. I don't know if you're familiar with that area in the Kasachi, but it's uh it's near Natchitoches. It's near okay. that Red River a floodplain. And I went out there and it was just like miles, like driving roads for miles and miles just for Longleaf as far as you can see. Were you herping? Oh yeah, I was herping. <laughs> Funny <laughs> <Yes>. no herps. <laughs> um, we got Chester over here about to get us get our picture. We can pause here and you wanna you want a candid shot or you want a smile? We can smile. All right. <laughs> I can cut this part out. We're talking about longleaf, longleaf pines and turkeys, the good stuff. Uh, yeah, so that's – how long have you been doing it, this work? Oh, wow. Like not even half a year. Yeah. Maybe coming up upon it. Yeah. But your future after this is uh, – is it staying in conservation, or is it uh, getting back to consulting, or is it? You know, <laughs> you know, I'm really enjoying uh, Wild Turkey. Yeah. They're a great nonprofit. Yeah. Uh, so we'll just see. Yeah, see, yeah, play it, play it year by year, huh? That's kind of how I live. I don't look <laughs> too far in the future. <laughs> I know, and that's the way most uh, biologists live. Right. It's a so it's an interesting career choice. It really is. Um, so yeah, what what all? Uh, I want to keep talking about these turkeys. <laughs> so you're doing like. Uh, oh, I'm a turkey fake. You're a turkey so fake. Yeah, gotcha. I'm a fake expert on turkeys. I've gotten like a lot <laughs> of. Uh, you got a you got a their shirt on right now. You look like you are the turkey person here. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a habitat person, you're a habitat uh, person. but Which I get a, a lot of. If you're a biologist, uh, you should be a habitat person. Yes, you know. but I have this like big joke uh, with uh, my coworkers because I've never hunted turkeys. Oh, you know, like and I, I do hunting. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good hunter in what I specialize in, but uh, I've never just hunted turkeys. Yeah. But that's gonna change. You're gonna go out. Shortly, yeah. I'm preparing myself to go kill my first turkey. I am learning turkey calls, which is really fun, yeah. actually. And I have this like bet going on with uh, my coworkers that I'm gonna kill a turkey on your this first season. Try? Well, or just within the killing season, one, killing yes. one. That, that's an, a, a big enough accomplishment for your first season. Must show them up. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. So it's just been this ongoing thing. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Got to got to get one out in the longleaf, out in that ecosystem. That would feel really good. That'd be cool, right? Is it? Do people hunt the longleaf out there? They do. Statue? They do. And there's enough turkeys where like you there can actually go out and get one. There is. Yeah, that's good. In Texas, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that it's, it's not, not a challenge. It's still challenging. I got for you. sure. Yeah. But it's it's getting better. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, with turkeys, you just go out and call like like they'll call back at you and. So the more I learn about hunting turkeys, the more I see uh, how cool and why people are so fanatical it's about a very hunting popular hunt turkeys. Hunting. So, you know, like, like let's say hunting deer from a deer stand with a feeder. To me, that's not like real hunting. Like I'm you, I just you. go out there. I listen to my audio book for like two hours. Like I literally just chill so hard. Okay, the deer shows up. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I aim, I shoot them. Like it is not hard. And some people are all about that. Yeah, that's but this is a lot more intricate, which is kind of the hunting that I like. Um, 
you know, you're out there, you have to hide yourself, and then you have to, like, call the turkey in. Like, it's very interactive. And I'm just, like, learning about it and hearing, like, my coworkers and friends talk about it. I'm like, okay, y'all have piqued my interest. I can get into this. So I'm, like, really excited. Yeah. And, and when you call, you're, you're making the call of a, of a hen, right? Correct. You're folding that so that Jake or Jake or uh, t- like Tom's are the mature dr- mature males, right? Yes. And then the Jake is the uh, is like the first year first year male. Okay. Um. I don't know so about turkey terms. <laughs> d- and there is so many terms for like the same thing. Really? Yeah. I am. Uh. Like I said, I'm like a turkey fake. <laughs> you know, like sure, I'm great with birds. I'm bird expert but like you know people are like oh yeah the jennies and the toms and the jakes and they're and i'm just like what's a jenny is that a young female yeah (laughs) you know and i'm or and then they'll also be like oh the hen and like you know there's these multiple terms for like it's like a whole jargon for the turkey yeah and it's it's really (laughs) fascinating but uh going back to the calls it mostly is um doing the female call trying to call in a male but you can also do a male call where the male you're hoping to bring in a big male that's wanting to challenge okay you know uh i guess like the other male that would be there so you kind of do a mix of like male and female calls like oh something's going on there (laughs) hoping that a big male is going to be like oh i want in on that so it i I don't know. I like I said, I haven't done it yet, but I've been learning about it. I've been having conversations with other turkey hunters, and it just it's fascinating. Yeah, gotta Here put in yourself their, in the mind of a turkey. Yeah. When I was really young, my dad took me turkey hunting once or twice, and I remember him. He actually we got one. I remember him calling it at it. He's using like a little mouthpiece thing. Yes. Like, yeah. I'm not even gonna try to make the sound because I can't make sounds. <laughs> like a high pitch like mm-hmm. and like like we heard a gobbler off in the distance it's like gobble, gobble, gobble. like <laughs> i can't make the noise but that like, was actually like, pretty good like adrenaline rush i remember when i was a kid and he like shot it and I like went up with my bb gun you know uh-huh finished it off yeah i can see how it i can see how it uh that's the first time i've recalled that memory in a long time um, I can see how it could be very addicting, like just hearing them call back at you, and then like getting closer and closer. I think it's like really validating. I think you know. Yeah, it's, you're talking to this animal. Like, I call it ducks. I duck hunt, but they don't call back at you. Uh huh. Like, they're just they're flying. And but they'll turn around, and you, you feel like so cool. Changing their behavior. That's why I like duck hunting. Is like. Yeah. Mimicking, uh, like throwing out realistic spreads and and cool like emergent marsh habitats and. Like, all right, this looks real ducky, you know. There's, there's, uh, uh-huh. there's a bunch of smart weeds and junkus and all like cool. Like this looks like stuff. a great stopping point like, for these ducks. Yeah, I don't, I don't just like just random bodies of water. I like looking for like ducky habitat. Probably doesn't matter that much, but then like you throw out the spread and it's like, yeah, it's, you're trying to like <laughs> fool the duck, but like it's not the same as turkey hunting though, where like they're calling at you the whole time mm-hmm. and they like get closer. I want to photograph one when they're all sprawled up when they were displaying. Uh huh. It's a, it's a, you don't really, you know, you, if you're not into the birds or whatever, you think of a turkey and you're like, oh yeah, this bald headed brown bird, whatever. Farm bird. But oh my God, no. You look at a turkey, they have so many opalescence, like feathers. It's just beautiful. Yeah. 
They're beautiful birds. I, I, I bet it's the case that the hunting uh, industry uh, kind of ruins it for some people. Like it's it's turned into like this popular game bird, and it's not like as special to see one because it's it's like a bird you hunt. It's not like it's not like a prothonotary warbler or something. But in fact, they're just as pretty as any of the songbirds. Or, oh yeah. You know, and just as amazing. But that's I'm, I feel the same way about white-tailed deer. Um, if like if I wasn't so familiar with them from a sportsman standpoint, I'd probably appreciate them more. Yeah, they're a cool they're, animal. They're like our main ungulate, and they got like the rut and like uh, had a buddy on uh, have a buddy named Matt Buckingham. He's a naturalist. He's gotten really into white-tailed deer, which is really funny because he's like a rare plant guy and like small non-game stuff. And he was telling me like why he got into them, and it's like the rut that they go into and like they got just the, the, their life history and the males fight and like the, they're chasing does and stuff and like they are really fascinating like there's a lot of game species like that that I feel like you know because of uh, the sportsman industry I guess they seem less cool but they're still cool yeah you know, just because they're common or whatever doesn't mean they're not cool um, quail I guess are the same way oh quail um, quail are neat I, I love quail I like quail yeah. I've, I've been walking through longleaf before and like jumped a covey uh-huh. like, scared the absolute shit out of me because <laughs> like, they, they, they're ground dwelling and they like you want to send like me woodcocks. a pin to there right. <laughs> i guess they're like woodcocks where they, they rely so much on their ground camouflage uh-huh. they just hold they wait and wait until they're about to step on them and they just freaking take off out of nowhere <laughs> it's like holy shit oh yeah it's some of that turkey work that uh, you're doing it benefits quail Oh, a hundred percent. It's a all like it's encompassing like project under the you know guise turkey. of turkey, That's but it's it's good for everything. We call those umbrella species, right? Yes. Like, get support for one species because like no hunter cares, no no sportsman care about red cockaded woodpeckers, right? There's not going to be people investing their time in the red cockaded woodpeckers to conserve a longleaf. But turkeys, on the other hand, right, are this right. popular game bird and, and quail. So, yeah, getting the support from the sportsmen, from the hunting and fishing industry, um, to to conserve those species benefits all the non-game, mm-hmm. I guess pine snakes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so th- the way we do conservation here in North America. I guess it works out really well, right, uh, under the North American model. Um, I don't know if other countries have the same sort. I guess they probably do, but yeah, I don't know too much about. We're, we're very theirs. heavy on the hunting, uh, hunting benefiting conservation here, which that seems counterintuitive for a lot of people. But that's one p- reason I started this podcast is to like you know talk about those sorts of nuances. Oh yeah, you know. like I'm a you know nature lover, exactly. and that goes hand in hand with hunting because to be a good hunter or even a great hunter. You have to, like, have the knowledge exactly. behind that. It's just not a, I don't know, shoot and leave it situation. Unless you're, you know, sitting on a feeder. Yeah, yeah, unless that. that. <laughs> but even then, you're like, oh, deer sure do love to be active in the morning. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're at least you getting something. part yeah. of the knowledge. But yeah. I agree with you. That's not. <laughs> right. Well, but you'll talk to those feeder hunters, not to go on this tangent, but they, they say it's not so easy. Like, you still, like, the big bucks, they're not just going to come out in the open. Usually, you know, like, you got to get them during the rut, and maybe mm-hmm. they'll peek out. They say it's still hard, even if you're hunting on a feeder. I have my doubts. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you just have maybe to be there bucks, at the right time. But, yeah, anyway, um, yeah. So, like, were you always into hunting, or was it one of those things? Because a lot of people, they, 
I see a lot of people, just people I know personally, like college and stuff. They were anti-hunting before college. They studied wildlife, and then they came out pro-hunting after because they learned yeah. about the North American model of conservation and how, like, all the money we have, most of the money we use for conservation comes from hunting and fishing dollars. And, yeah, it's just... So we can talk about this forever, <laughs> right. especially what I'm about to say. Yeah. Like, to me, hunting is more humane than our food industry, which, yeah. you know, we, we can touch on that. But, like, that is the food a whole is, other thing. And, like, you know, you go out, you harvest a deer that has lived, like, a, you know, a good wild life doing its thing. It's an organic, you know, meat rather than... You, a more unfortunate, like farm-raised, industrial, yeah, kind of situation animal where you're just like, oh, geez, <laughs> ecosystem destruction, <laughs> you know, uh, carbon emissions, uh, you know, cruelty. cruelty. There's like a whole list exactly. of problems with the way big, big ag works. Uh, you know, you have the smaller, oh no, you know, mom and pop. That's ranchers and farmers that are doing good work uh, using their cattle to, no, there's to a restore prairie sure. and, and there's, there's like difference. the rotational grazing and all that. Um, it's very Which nuanced. Is actually, going back to like Longleaf Pine Savannah, there's some people doing some really cool work in Louisiana and I'm sure like all over the country, but they're using cows to kind of, uh, I guess, like graze. Yep. As the uh, ungulate and right. like a prescribed graze, it's program. it's awesome what they're doing. Yep. You know, they only put a few out there to right. kind of mimic what we used to have uh, the buffalo yep. that yep. used to migrate down here. Yeah, I've s I've seen that before in refuges out at the uh, Atwater Prairie Chicken National Wildlife Refuge. Such a mouthful. I always hate saying it. Um, did you ever go out to that place when you were in Houston? No, I didn't. That's on the west side. That's where they're doing a lot of Atwater Prairie Chicken work. Anyway, they uh, to maintain the habitat for Atwater prairie chicken, Atwater's prairie chicken, they graze cattle mm -hmm. to to create those bunch grasses and like open open the herbaceous cover a little bit, you know, because like those chickens they need if, if it gets too you know rank, like yeah. if the grasses get too thick, the chickens can't move. They can't Correct. Move through That's that stuff. a big thing. It's just too thick. That that seems so simple, but like for some ground dwelling species, um, even like. Texas horn lizards, I feel like, probably disappeared from a lot of their eastern uh, parts of their range in, like, Texas because invasive grasses just took over the prairie and it's too thick for them. Yeah. Like, there's just no, no it, it open is ground a thing. cover. But anyway, yeah, so that, uh, yeah, using cattle can be beneficial for conservation. Um, can't really bring bison back, so. <laughs> but cattle are, um, they can create that disturbance that a lot of these rangelands evolved with. Um what were we talking about before you you brought us down this bison? Uh, oh, hunting, yeah, hunting, um, and 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 just yeah, where we get food. I, I would I aspire to like stop buying meat from the store and only if I'm gonna eat meat, like uh, just eat it, eat the stuff I killed myself. Yeah, that would be cool. I eat it's too just, much meat for it's that. It's hard. It's hard <laughs> to do. But but yeah, uh, I, I, there are some people that are doing that. There's a word for it. There's a term for it. But um, yeah, I don't know the the term but like forager or right, yeah <laughs> hunter <laughs> hunter yeah. Uh, if you kill a couple deer a year i feel like you know you can keep your freezers pretty full if you're oh for sure you don't have a full family to feed it seems like it's doable you know like if you like to fish too you get some although i wouldn't want to eat too many fish especially like saltwater fish around where i live because it's like bioaccumulation of mercury and stuff <laughs> but 
I don't know if it's actually a problem. I don't know if you ever did any I of that sort of work. I eat a lot of red snapper that I catch offshore. I haven't had a problem yet, but like learn like long term effects. You know, I don't. I don't even know. I don't even know if there are documented long term effects from eating wild <laughs> fish um, with like you know the mercury accumulation. I guess if you're eating like lower trophic level fish, it's the mercury levels are more are better. Like if you're eating like an apex predator, I guess it's probably like a tuna. Yeah. Probably has high mercury because they're just so high on the trophic level. I don't know. It's interesting. But then you have like flounder, which are like a like the ground or the bottom dwelling. Apparently they have high mercury. But I love to eat flounder. <laughs> they're so good. <laughs> they're so fun to catch, you know. But uh, yeah, hunting and fishing, it, it it is so consistent with who I am as a naturalist. You know, yeah. I've, I've been hunting and fishing my whole life. If it turned out to be the case that hunting and fishing was bad for biodiversity and it added to the biodiversity sort of crisis where global crisis we're in, you know, it's some areas are doing, there's more wildlife in some areas than historically, like there's more white-tailed deer than ever. They go to like the Amazon or something. We're losing, it's like they clear one hectare of forest and you lost like 10 species because they're like all these endemics and stuff. Uh-huh. Anyway, we're losing a lot of species, but uh, the way we hunt here in North America is like very beneficial and how we, use the money to put back into conservation. We need to manage certain species like white-tailed deer, right? There's, you can have too many white-tailed deer for sure. Oh yeah. Um, ducks. There's more ducks now than ever, I think historically, or there's more geese for sure. Snow geese. Um, it's like hunting them is like critical <laughs> to maintain their tundra, their tundra habitat. Um, now, the hunting for you is, is a, a very unique experience. Uh, I mean, I know you, you do some conventional hunting, but most of what you do is you throw your falcon out there, and they do the work for you, which is really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, I am a licensed falconer. Yep. Uh, and I don't know, falconry for me is a legit form of hunting. Yeah. Uh, it's also really fun. We're just <laughs> being like honest. It. Like it's a lot of fun. You really get out there and you have to interact and be part of the hunt. Yeah. So, you know, like going back to the whole like sitting in a blind feeder situation, it's not that. Like you have to be active. Yeah. Or you're not going to catch anything. Yeah. So, it's it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Mainly catching small game, squirrels and Yes, so, you know, uh, there is a lot of forms of falconry, and we can definitely get into that, but uh, being in the southeast, squirrel hunting is is a big thing, and I'm pretty good at squirrel hunting. Are you good, or are your birds good? It's a team effort, I guess. It's a team effort. Okay, you can't give them too much credit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So... While there is, like, many forms of falconry that you can do, the best form of falconry is the habitat that you are in and the game species you have plenty of. And then that dictates what type of bird you get. Because, you know, if there is no game, there is no, like, good habitat, you're going to have a bad time. Right. So, uh... We have a bunch of squirrels in the southeast. Um, so you think about what birds, you know, catch squirrels. Can we move the mic closer? Yeah. Make sure I can hear you. So uh, 
I fly a bunch of like red tail hawks. Okay. Yeah. Those are pretty great at catching squirrels. I bet. So if you have that little uh, kestrel, I mean, what do you what do you hunt with that kestrel? Oh yeah. So I did a little project this spring. It uh I caught a uh, at the end of winter I went out and I trapped a American kestrel. And so she's just a little project bird and it's so much fun. I catch invasive European starlings with her. Oh wow. Yes. So um during the spring starlings they uh they kind of come down here. It's during their nesting season. Okay. Um, they're going to be on the ground foraging and picking up nesting material and wanting to eat a bunch to feed their babies or, you know, before they actually lay their eggs, just getting the nutrition right. and stuff. So they're very distracted. So what I have done is I took my kestrel and I've taught her to uh, go out and catch them when they're on the ground. So oh, wow. <laughs> it's just a little project that I'm doing. That's it's so fun. Cool. So how many... These are your birds you keep at your house? Like yes. How many birds do you have? I have two. Just two? Okay. So I have uh, the kestrel, and then I have a goshawk. Goshawk. The goshawk takes down bigger, some bigger game. Yes, yes. So the goshawk is pretty good at catching either fur or feathers. So, you know, whether I'm going for, let's say, rabbits mm -hmm. or ducks. Yep. Oh, ducks. That'd yes, be a lot of fun. ducks. <laughs> That'd be a lot of fun to watch that. Wow. So, like, take me through, uh, like, you go out to a spot, and you're looking for ducks, say, and you see ducks, like, off in the distance, and you just send your bird? No. It's what a lot harder it? than that. What, all, what so all goes into it? A really good uh, falconer that I'm friends with, uh, he told me, and it this makes sense, uh, you're set up. For uh, catching your game before you ever let go of your bird, like your bird leaves your fist, it's either caught or not caught. Okay. And so, for example, if we're going to go chase ducks, well, I can't just leave or let my bird leave my fist to go get the, uh, the ducks from like, you know, like 100 yards away. Because right. guess what? The ducks are going to see the bird and they're just going to be like, oh. Yeah, no thanks. And they're going to stay on the water, and they're going to be safe. Like, there's oh. no incentive for those ducks to leave the water. So you need the ducks to fly. Yes. The goshawk won't pick them off the surface of the water. No, they can't. Um, ducks are... Too heavy. They're heavy, they're powerful, and, you know, so they worst case, they just dive under the water okay. and say, ha-ha. They, they need an avian, uh, avian attack, like... In the sky, knock, like knocking it out of the sky to the ground, then they do their work. Yeah, them. so uh, there's different types of ways to get ducks with different birds. Um, my goshawk is more of a straight-on uh, low-flying attack okay. where a falcon is going to start from up in the air okay. and wait for the bird to, uh, I guess, the duck to leave the water okay. and hit it out of the air. So... Uh, there's just like different strategies for different birds I you're uh, you're flying. What happens when they t they take out a non-game or something that so should <laughs> harvest it? That which you happen. know it does like happen. Send your it doesn't it happen often. Snatches a a warbler or something. You know? Yeah. So like I said, it doesn't happen okay. often, yeah. but there is a rule called let it lie. Okay. As it's long as you don't 
handle that uh okay, I see. that game species what about that was can you let your bird eat it you is can that, is that acceptable yeah it is acceptable it's, a, it's pretty much a natural predation event you know it, uh, mm-hmm. although your goshawk isn't isn't part of the north american fauna avifauna but it, it's close <laughs> enough right yes but like i said they uh they did build in that kind of rule okay the let you. it lie rule um and you know falconers as a whole they never take advantage of that. Okay, yeah. You're never going to see, like, an upstanding good falconer going out and duck hunting, like, right. out of season and be like, yeah, let it lie. Uh, well, anybody you that's, know, that, that's not a thing. Anybody that's into falconry, I, I feel like it attracts decent people because, like, you got to have a love for birds. Yes. For one. You got to, it's a lot of work. You got to take care of, you got to care for the birds. It's quite an art form. Um, it seems like there's probably not a lot of ethical problems when it comes to the falconry community. Maybe there is. I don't know. <laughs> there's problems in all there, communities generally. <laughs> I was going to say, there's some that, characters. It can't be uh, quite like, uh, like there, there can't be any super lousy, unethical, um, you know, falconers out there. You would think that are just slaughtering a bunch of stuff and treating their birds badly. And No, for the most part, a lot of falconers... We are a smaller community, yeah. and we self-regulate yeah. because hunting with these birds really is a privilege, yeah, yeah, especially really since we trap them out of the wild. Like, yeah. we are very lucky to be able to do that. It's an amazing yeah. thing. Um, Did but you trap your birds? Yes. How yes. For uh, most of my birds, I have trapped out of the wild. Oh, that must be so cool. Yeah, it it really is. Is um you get to see them out in the wild, track down your bird, lay your trap, and then you know you have this wild animal, and then you get to train it for falconry. That's so and incredible. And then you know he becomes your uh your hunting partner. That's just you must have such a bond with these birds. It must be so amazing. So I wouldn't call it a bond, okay. but it's certainly a partnership. It's a partnership, which is you. something really cool about like birds of prey. Uh, especially ones coming out of the wild, is they're not a dog. Yeah. They don't love you. No. They're like, who are you? I, I'm hungry. Yeah, I don't want to be wanna a hunt. part of this. What in the world? But you teach them, and they, you you see it click. Like, they learn. They, uh, they're like, oh, wait, wait one second. Like, you flush all this prey for me? <laughs> I get, like, to take a... Uh, you know, hunting is so much easier with you. I'm going to stick with you. I mean, at any point in time, these birds can just fly away from you if you're but not, like, doing your part. Interesting. So it becomes and they choose to still hunt with you because you make their life that much easier. It becomes a very strong symbiotic yes, relationship. exactly. In ecological terms, human and raptor together <laughs> to hunt. Yes. <laughs> really cool. They they kind of choose the, uh, the interaction and the end of it. Yeah. What's the history of falconry? I mean, did it start in the old world? Is it is it uh, some something that was done in like Asia or something a long time ago? Or I'm gonna be honest. You don't know. I have no idea. Oh, you should know these things. I should know it's these. Probably things. a really cool story for falconry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't. That's I know funny. what I do, and I you know that it. I'm yeah, good at it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're good at it. Um, what makes a good falconer? I mean, you just have successful hunts. I decent birds. So if we're gonna put it as a quantitative thing, yes, <laughs> yeah. a good falconer catches game right they are eat, successful do you, eat the game? Um, do you let them eat depends the game? on what it is so like, if i would have a hard time giving up a duck i like eating ducks. oh yeah i don't give my ducks <laughs> away we uh now i might give like a part of it away for bird. sure the yeah. bird like 
deserves it. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, the organs. The organs are rich in nutrients. Yeah, they probably can what have they it. like anyway. They can have it for sure. Do they, do they go for the organs first, by the way, when they're like eating the, or do they just tear in? And so um, there's some people that let their birds feed on uh, like kills that they catch and yeah. stuff like that. I am not one of those people. Oh, okay, um, I see. And you know, now we're getting into like techniques and training and. Yeah. There's, like, so many intricate details. Yeah. Like, I'm really passionate about how I shape my hawks and do what I do. But, um, for example, when they catch the prey, I don't let my birds, like, eat on their prey. I trade them off on, like, a, a piece of meat that I've already, like, cleaned I and, like, prepared for Make them. Make sure they don't get... Uh, some sort of parasite. Or exactly. So much. Like, and I don't want them to be diseases. like super possessive of their okay. game. Yeah. Like the food's going to come from me. I got you. Interesting. That, that's, there's probably a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, differences of opinion with that in the falconry community. There is yeah. actually. Is it very controversial? Uh, I mean, I let people do whatever they want, and yeah. I mean, the end results kind of show for themselves, but you can be successful with both. Yeah. It just it feeding just it depends. yourself works better for you when you give them the food. Yeah. Plus, you know, like, I don't want that bird to eat my duck's breast. Like, no, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to eat want. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I don't. Yeah, you got to get something out of the deal other than just entertainment. <laughs> yeah. But for the most part, I'll take whatever my uh, my bird catches and I'll stick it in the freezer for okay. a while to kind of kill the parasites and then I'll defrost it at a later time and they go I ahead gotcha. and they eat it, whether that's like rabbits or I squirrels gotcha. or whatever. That's awesome. <laughs> Feeds themselves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you going to run your birds out here or fly your birds rather? Uh, out here, ranch? so right now it is the end of hunting season for most like uh, – uh, okay. I guess like game species. So I put my bird, like my goshawk up. So right now he is at a fatter weight. He has no desire to hunt or to fly or even listen to me. (laughs) He's And like I said, it goes back to that. It's not a bond. It's It's more like a partnership. And I mean, it gives them more individuality as like, you know, they're a predator and you're, you're just their way to, keep interacting with their natural life and Mm -hmm. hunting naturally and yeah as long as you benefit like them and they see the benefit in the relationship they're about it and i'm not saying like birds of prey are mean or can't like like you in like a kind of distant way but you know they're not very affectionate like and i've had several birds like for example one of my well, like my first red tail hawk that I had, that bird was a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not going to like go out and tell everybody this as I say this into a podcast, but <laughs> you know, like she was a very, very sweet animal. Very she sexy. didn't have a mean bo- yeah. like bone in her body yeah. toward me. She like really trusted me, yeah. really was like just there. Yeah. Um, now, Another bird, you know, mean as hell. Will it will hunt for you? It will do what you want, but you know, it it didn't want to be near you. Yeah. It uh, always okay. was very wary of like its space. It would right. try to like attack you, even though you know you're its partner and yeah. they want to still hunt with you. You know, they all have individual personalities, right. so you just have to respect that. Yeah, 
It's not your spirit animal <laughs> or some <laughs> bullshit like that. Well, we're about at the hour mark. Do you want to give uh, any any people advice if they want to get into falconry or any other closing remarks here before we end? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like we could do a whole other hour <laughs> yeah. of falconry. There's we can record another so many like amazing things yeah. to say about it. Um, but, yeah, if you want to get into falconry, there's usually a state club. So you can just Google that, like your state falconry, yeah. or, you know, go to your local state's, uh, I guess, wildlife and fisheries and see about the rules on falconry there. Uh, but an all-encompassing thing is the North American Falconry uh, Association. They do have a website. Yeah. So it's a lot of good information on there and usually a list of your state clubs and reaching out to that and asking them and going out and saying like, hey, I heard about this thing called falconry. I would love to join you on a hunt to yeah. see like how it is or if it's a realistic thing for me to do. Those are really your first steps because it's a commitment. Yeah, get a good mentor, ideally. Oh yeah, yeah. and as with all things, again, we're we're starting on another conversation. <laughs> yeah, I got but you. a mentor is a thing because when you get into falconry, you have to do a two-year apprenticeship. Oh, okay. So you are going to be sponsored by another licensed uh, falconer for two years, and you know they're just there to hold your hand right. and. Make sure you don't kill your bird. Try and get you on game and be a successful falconer because yep. it, it's a lot of things to learn. But right. don't be, like, intimidated. It's yep. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Very good. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you, Britt. Thanks so much. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah.